Hello and welcome to the Robert A. Heinlein Book Club. So uh, in this series, I'll be looking at all of the fiction works of Robert A. Heinlein. Um, and uh, we are now beginning what's going to be a, a long series within that larger project, looking at his early short stories. So um, through much of the 40s, Heinlein pretty much wrote uh, short stories. His first novel, uh, besides For Us a Living, which I already looked at, would be Robert Chip Galileo in 1947. So we have quite a few stories to get to before we, uh, we come to that. But these are you know, mostly things I haven't read before and mostly things I'm pretty excited to begin to look at. Um, so today, uh, well, I already did Lifeline, so this actually isn't the first uh, short story, um, but this is... Uh, the story I'm going to look at today is Misfit. Um, it was originally published in November 1939 in Astounding. So that, that's kind of like a um, lifeline. And I'll, I'll come back to lifeline a little bit in the next story, which is uh, Let There Be Light, which has a lot of parallels with that story. This one is rather different in its, its themes and, and styles, but... We see still Heinlein very much in his uh, in a in a New Deal sort of uh, Great Depression worldview, like we saw with For Us the Living. Right. If you go back to that book, uh, there's a lot of focus on like how do we manage an economy uh, so production and demand match each other, and the way to do that is with social credit. And I talked at length about that in in those earlier episodes. Um, Misfit is also clearly influenced by by the Great Depression in that we have a essentially a civilian conservation corps or a WPA program in space um, where in fact he starts out the story with an epigraph from the Cosmic Construction Corps another CCC so his his model certainly is the civilian conservation corps uh, where he says, for purpose of conserving and improving our interplanetary resources and providing useful, healthy occupants for the youth of this planet. Now, that's not quite uh, word for word what Roosevelt said when he announced his program in 1933, his, C his CCC, but I'll, I'll read it for you. He said, I propose to create the Civilian Conservation Corps to be used in complex work, not interfering with normal employment, and confining itself to forestry, the prevention of soil erosion, flood control, and some more projects. I call your attention to the fact that this work, this type of work is a definite practical value, not only through the prevention of great present financial loss, but also through a means of crea creating that future national wealth. So the idea here is essentially similar. It's like public works for the good of society and the good of the economy, but also for the benefit of, of young people who maybe don't have other employment. And of course, the Civilian Conservation Corps targeted young people who were, who were in need of employment. This story goes a little bit farther, um, but very similar context. We're told explicitly that 
this cosmic construction corporations is for young men who don't have who have who, who are maybe misfits and it's the story the name of the story obviously uh, social outcasts cr- maybe with criminal backgrounds maybe with juvenile delinquent backgrounds whatever but also for people who has had their jo- who have had their jobs automated away taken from them by automation by the, the this kind of uh, chain of progress um, th- and that's kind of connected to things he's talking about in for us to living too where technology and of production is certainly part of that 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 story so um what do we have here for a story so it's it's not that much we're just introduced to a group of young men who are entering this cosmic construction core all from these backgrounds now this is very militarized um which of course the civilian conservation corps did I say corporations before? Cosmic Construction Corporation. It's a Cosmic Construction Corps. It's the same. It's this, it is militarized. And that's not, in the 30s, that's pretty common. It's not just like the Hitler Youth that are trying to militarize society. You have, in China, the Three People's Principles Youth Brigade. You have uh, the growth of the Boy Scouts. You have a lot of movements that are using kind of military logic uniforms a military structure ranks and things like that as as part of youth movements of harnessing youth movements i actually explored this a little bit when i was younger and you know i came to the conclusion that a lot of these youth youth movements were about harnessing and can really restraining youth who could be sent off in more radical directions but you could kind of harness that for the nation that would be a benefit obviously to the nation in some way and then this may be most clearly seen in the hitler youth but you also see it in in the boy scouts or or the samin jui chingnian tuan which is the the three people's principles youth brigade and i'm sure in other countries you find similar kind of youth movements um and i think the civilian conservation corps is kind of an extension of that it's not really fascist it's although of course the hitler youth were but not all these movements were were overtly fascist. It was just kind of the trend at the time to embrace kind of more militaristic strategies. Now, what would be the long term consequence of those? I don't I don't know. I, I like I don't think the Boy Scouts were ever a fascist threat in America. It's never the equivalent of the Hitler Youth, however toxic some of their philosophy might be. You know, I was a I was an Eagle Scout and I turned out more or less OK, I think. Or maybe not. I don't know. I'll leave the listener there to decide about that. Um, anyways, that's kind of my view on that. I do think there's a mid 20th century push to do something with the youth. And I think it's, it, it's, it's in terms of like this growing adolescence, expanding educational opportunities to 18, um, with more public education, more university education, all those kinds of things is, is kind of creating a question mark about youth, adolescence. It's like the, it's about the creation of adolescence in a way where they're they're essentially adults in in physically, sexually, but not emotionally and socially they're still being confined. So how do you harness that in a way that's constructive? Because other people can harness it in a way that might be destructive to the goals of the nation, right? Juvenile and delinquent behavior, criminal organizations, whatever. They're more than willing to use young people, um, and and give them an adulthood 
that maybe the state and broader society is not willing to do. So there. Um, so I, I, there might be a positive benefit to this uh, in, in kind of directing that energy, which is quite strong in positive ways. And it's not always like our, our current model of kind of just throwing them into classrooms until they're 22 and deeply in debt, at which point they're kind of be relaxed enough to get a job to pay off those debts or something. That's not working out very well, I guess. But. But there's something to this. And, and not only that, like the idea of having a space for generally deviant people, criminals or whatever, that isn't just a prison. You know, that's the nice thing about having a frontier. Uh, you know, if you think about Phil Dick, Heinlein's, of course, going to spend a lot of his writing in the frontier. It's a nice thing about the frontier is it's a place you can put people that maybe don't fit in. And it's like, oh, we don't really need prisons if we have like, the moon or we have asteroids we can send people to or you know to to put them to work for the benefit we don't have those frontiers on earth so we have a much more difficult question of of of, of, of tackling what to do with the the leftover population the discarded people the the what's it zygmunt Bauman calls them like the wasted lives it's a great book, by the way, if you, if you haven't read it. Zygmunt Bauman's book, Wasted Lives. Uh, his Liquid World stuff talks a lot about just like the surplus excess population and, and how we really don't have a place to dump them anymore. But we used to have like America or Australia or the colonies or the military or something like that. We were running, all these, we were running out of places to put our excess population. Anyways, the story, not much to it. As I said, uh, we, we meet this group of young men. Um, Libby is the outcast. We first meet him as kind of a, uh, a he's described a thin, gangling blonde who doesn't can't quite get into line. He, he was a misfit to be entered into the Cosmic Construction Corps. He's also a misfit in the Cosmic Construction Corps. And he, you know, it's almost cinematic in the way you can just imagine the goofy character trying to put on his helmet or whatever, trying to get in the line at the last minute. And then over the course of the story, uh, he saves the day. Well, well, first, what is this they're doing? They're trying to build a space station on an asteroid. That's their, they're building the infrastructure of, a, of, a, of an empire in the solar system. And so they have to go out to this place with 2% 2 of Earth gravity um, and basically working in spaceship suits, working in these horrible conditions for a long period of time in order to build a space station. But, you know, that's, it's, it's public works, right? And it has the benefit of molding these young people into mature consumers hopefully at the end of this process they'll be ready to go back to earth maybe and be be good good worker consumers but it's also of course laying the groundwork for empire that's kind of the policy the program we have here well anyways um our main character is this guy libby and he is not well educated he doesn't have much uh of a, of a serious academic background. In fact, we're told that his parents are kind of dissenters from, from society in a way, his name being Andrew Jackson. 
Libby, Andrew Jackson Libby, is is given as evidence uh, that his parents must have been dissenters from, from the. Oh, I had to look it up. The Covenant is called. Now it's not fully explained in this story what the Covenant really is, but I suppose it's just the new social contract that, in this future society, that that of which this cosmic construction core is part of that that but still he's he's somewhat a dissenter from it maybe it's a religious thing i'm not quite sure but he's a misfit in every way he's a misfit on earth he's a a bit of misfit in the core um but he saves the day he the, he realizes that there's a like a, a mistake in a calculation because in Heinlein's wor world, everyone still is messing around with, with slide rules. We don't really have computers to do this thing. So, um, you know, someone messed up a calculation somewhere along the way. And he figured it out. And this maybe saved lives. It, it prevented a blast that would have set back the construction for a long time or maybe forever. And for this, he gets called into the boss's office. And he's a little nervous about that, but the boss is like, you know, tell me what you can do. And he says, well, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a kid, right? I'm just, um, I'm not that smart. And then he's like, asks, he starts asking the math questions like square roots. And he's like a human calculator and he can rail off the, the, the square roots. That's easy enough. But the interesting thing is when he's like, well, tell me the logarithm of this number. He's like, dude, I don't know what a logarithm is. And then the, the officer explains what their logarithm is. And he's able to figure it out. He grocks it really quick. And within a few minutes, he figures out what logarithms are and comes to the answer. And this proves he's basically a mathematical genius who would be of great use to the core. So, so he gets promoted, essentially, to an office job as a calculator. Um, and that's, that's essentially how the story ends. So... So we have the character of the the brilliant human uh, that can, you know, use their mind to solve problems. That's kind of a Heinlein motif, I think. Um, at least in the little bit of Heinlein I've read up to this point, you see it a lot. Um, and it's certainly at work here. So... There's a lot of technology stuff, I guess, in the in the in the story too, dealing with the you know trying to work with the gravity out here in the asteroids and and some of the mechanical aspects of it, which are interesting. But this is just kind of setting up the disaster that Libby Libby um, avoids. But I don't know. I don't think there's too much more to say about the story. I, I think it's very clearly a Heinlein story in that we have. Um, kind of a strong frontier. We have kind of an optimistic examination of that frontier. We have the mathematical genius being the hero of the story, someone who through their intellect is able to um, master their environment. We have kind of a meritocracy here um, in that he's not punished for like disobeying orders. He's praised and promoted for his, his genius um, this is clearly the kind of world that Heinlein wants to live in and, you know, where people get their position and are promoted and are respected for their genius, particularly in math, right? There's a lot of stories, especially in the juveniles, we see math come up a lot. Um, 
and that's that's going on here. Um, so, I guess I don't want to over over discuss the story. It's only a few pages. Um, but yeah, I think that's all there is to it. Um, but let me know what you think. Send me your own thoughts about uh, this story, Misfit. If you have read it, I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. Probably I'm missing a few crucial details or interpretive points, but I think this one's pretty straightforward. In the next episode, I will be looking at um, Let There Be Light, um, which was published in, what's the, what's the magazine? I think it's like a super science journal or a super science magazine. Uh, he published it under a different name, um, but I'll just... Uh, um, and this one very much will be like Lifeline in that we have a, uh, a new technology. We have a corporation that wants to stop it. And we have a discussion on, on public domain, essentially. Um, that's, you know, so think about public domain as we, uh, and patents and intellectual property as we dig into Let There Be Light. So, um, as always, thanks so much for listening, um, and I will see you next time.